I'm continuing this series in a trip to Graceland to see the King. And today our topic is, in Graceland everybody gets a second chance. I have one more in the series. Next Sunday in Graceland, nobody has to be perfect. You probably should come and hear that one. All right. My text today is in Mark, the 14th chapter. Mark, the 14th chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 22, just what we have done today. Jesus said, or it says, As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. After singing, after, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And here's where we get it. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, truly, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Pray with me. Now, Father, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today. Give each of us just the message you want us to hear. We pray to you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people joined me and said, Amen. The guy on the screen, he's gone down in history as Wrong Way Regals. The year was 1929, the New Year's Day Rose Bowl. Georgia Tech was playing University of California in the Rose Bowl. And in the game, a University of California player, Roy Regals, recovered a fumble by Georgia Tech. And somehow Roy got confused. And he started running 65 yards in the wrong direction toward the Georgia Tech goal line. One of his teammates, Benny Long, outran him and tackled him right before he scored a touchdown for Georgia Tech. When UC attempted to punt, Georgia Tech blocked the score and scored a safety, which resulted in the ultimate score of Georgia Tech 8 and UC 7, and George Riggle's terrible mistake set up that score. Now that strange thing happened in the first half. The UC team went off of the field at the halftime, went into the dressing room, they sat down on the benches, on the floor, all except Riggles. He got a, a blanket wrapped around him and went over and sat in a corner by himself, put his face in his hands and wept like a baby. Now a coach usually has a lot to say to his team during halftime. 
during this halftime, Coach Price was really quiet. And no doubt, <laughs> he was trying to figure out, what do I do with Riggles? Well, the timekeeper knocked on the door and told him it was five minutes before the game started. Coach Price said to the team, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. The team went out, all except Riggles. He didn't budge. The coach looked back and he called him again. He still didn't move. Coach Price went over to him and he said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that started the first half will start the second. Roy looked up with his face wet with a strong man's tears and he said, Coach, I can't do that to save my life. I have ruined you. I have ruined the University of California. I have ruined myself. There is no way that I can face that crowd in the second half. Roy, get up and go back in the game. The game is only half over. Roy Riggles went back into the game, and his UC mates will tell you that they have never seen a man play football as Roy Riggles played that second half. Now, when you hear a story like that, you think, wow, what a coach. A coach who would give a kid who embarrassed himself, embarrassed the university, in, in, before hundreds of thousands of people around the country, but he would give that kid who messed up so bad a second chance. And we say, wow, what a coach. And what a man Coach Price must have been. But you know, when I read that story and I look back over my life, and you probably look back over your life, and I see how many times God has responded to me when I have messed up so many times and fumbled so many times, taken the ball and run the wrong way so many times, ashamed of what I have done, and God comes to me and says, get up, get back in the game, it's only half over. Now in Graceland, everybody gets a second chance. Now let's start by learning this. What causes us to fall away? And they're right here in this text. Jesus in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And Jesus shocked them by telling them, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And all of them begin to say, is it I, is it I, is it I? There are several reasons why we fall. First one is overconfidence. Overconfidence. Peter has a knack for putting his foot in his mouth and biting his toes off, getting it out. And Peter says, no, Lord, truly I tell you, not me. Not me. I will die with you. I will never deny you, Peter, Peter, Peter. Before the night is over, you will have denied me three times. Now, any time you hear about someone falling and you say arrogantly, well, that will never happen to me. I'd never do that. Don't, don't do that. You are setting yourself up for a major fall. Given the right circumstance, 
Anybody in this room is capable of any sin. Given the right circumstance. Any of us in this room <clears throat> is capable of any sin. Overconfidence is the first step to falling. Look what Paul said. If you think you are standing strong, be careful for you too may fall into, what's the word? Same sin. And another reason <clears throat> why we fall is just simple laziness. Pure, unadulterated laziness. Laziness was a major contributor <clears throat> to Peter's fall. Jesus goes to Gethsemane. He goes there to pray. <coughs> and he knew before the night was over he was going to be crucified. And he is deeply troubled. And he says to them, sit here while I go. I am grieved to the point of death. Remain here and pray. He goes a little farther. And he begs the Father. If you've got any other way to pull this off, remove this cup from me if you can. He comes back and he finds them sleeping and he says to Peter, <coughs> Simon, are you sleeping? Could you, couldn't you stay awake one hour? Now there is a principle here. When we get lazy, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. I think you would agree with me. It is far more difficult to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. Would you agree? The wrong thing is rather easy to do. But the right thing, <laughs> it takes energy. It takes effort. It takes stamina. It takes discipline to do the right thing. You keep your guard up. But when we get lazy... We are on a slippery slope for a fall. Now, I mean not only physically lazy, yes, but spiritually lazy. So what causes us to fall? Overconfidence, laziness, and then this fear of, dis, dis, of disapproval. The fear of disapproval. Now, we worry about what others think. We are afraid that they will reject us and disapprove of us. Look what happened to Peter. Jesus is arrested. <clears throat> and they led Jesus away to the right to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed close enough behind so he would not be identified with Jesus. Now let me ask you. You ever follow Jesus at a distance? Oh, I, I believe, I believe, but boy, I'm not a fat fanatic. <laughs> I don't want people to think that I'm some spiritual nut. You know, I, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I'm going to follow at a safe distance. One of the signs that we're falling away is that we become ashamed of him and we follow at a distance. Ashamed to put your Bible on your desk. Ashamed to say a prayer at a meal. Ashamed to be known as a Christian, and we try to be secret agent Christians. 1997, First Church gave us a trip to London to attend the International Conference on Preaching. And I got to hear some of my favorite, favorite preachers at that conference. After the conference was over, we toured England and Scotland and Wales. Let me tell you what happened to us. 
there were about 40 in this group. And we were going to be traveling <clears throat> 10 days together. They were from all over the world. Germany and France and Australia and New Zealand, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. And let me tell you, they were in a party mood. They had worked very hard and saved up their money for this trip, and they were going to enjoy it if it killed them. And I thought they were going to drink themselves to death. And Joyce and I just sort of laid low. Now you say, why would you do that, Ellie? Well, folks, you don't understand. You don't understand what it is like to be a pastor and be in a crowd and they find out you're a pastor. They stop cussing. They choke on their drink. They try to put out their smokes. And they get real weird. And they start acting real spiritual. Well, I wanted them to know that they didn't have to be weird around me, and I accepted them as they were, so we laid low. Now, when they would go to the pub for a happy hour before supper, Joyce and I would find some site to see in the city, and we would go, and then we would come back to supper. And they would come to supper totally bombed out of their gourd. Bloodshot eyes, headache, breath that would turn a mirror brown, and they kept up their partying. Well, at a haggis banquet in Edinburgh, now I'm Scotland, my folks come from Glasgow, but this is one Scotchman that does not like haggis. Woo, terrible. Well, at this, they make a big deal out of it in Scotland. At this haggis banquet, one lady got up the nerve to ask what everybody else wouldn't. She said, Mr. Campbell, several of us have been wondering, and they want me to ask you, are you a pastor? Yes. Did I give it away by not partying with you at happy hour? Oh, no, no, you're just so nice. I said, ma'am, you do not know me very well, do you? <laughs> well, let me tell you what happened. When they found out we were Christians, they came out. Most of them were Christians. They weren't acting like it very much. But most of them were Christians. Uh, several of them served on the boards of leadership in their church. And all of us were trying to be secret agent Christians. Well, from then on, we were comfortable with each other. And we bonded. And one, one guy came down one morning and he said, Mr. Campbell, can you help me with my Sunday school lesson on Sunday? It's from Revelation. I know I am on vacation. I learned from that experience to be up front and let people know that I'm a Christian. And if they figure out that I am a pastor, I will tell them. And if they don't, I won't. There is a book out called Embarrassed Christians because this is an epidemic in America today, folks. We have let the media, we Christians, have let the media, we have let the left, we have let the politically correct crowd, we have let the woke crowd beat us so down that we are afraid to speak up and we, because we do not want to meet their disapproval. Isn't that the case? Mark 8 said, 
if a person is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful day, I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of that man when I return in the glory of my Father with my holy angels. Whoa. No such thing as a secret agent Christian. All right, let's do a little review. Whoo. I should have left my watch back there like I did last time. <laughs> what causes us to fall? It's right here in the text, and it provides us overconfidence. Oh, Lord, I'd never do what they did. Woo! Laziness, pure, unadulterated laziness. Now, I'm going to say something, and if you don't like it, you just write Dale Scott, Bellevue Baptist Church, Berlin, Kentucky, that's all the address you need, as Billy Graham used to say. I have young married couples tell me nowadays, online services were great. We needed them. But I have so many young couples tell me nowadays, Eldie, it's such so more convenient for us to sit on the couch and let the kids eat their Wheaties and their pajamas and watch online than it is try to get those kids ready to come to Sunday school and church. It's just so much more convenient. I tell them, it is time for you to get up off your blessed assurance and get to church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Online is good. Let's don't use it as an excuse. So write Dale Scott. Write Dale Scott. Now, how does God respond, respond to us when we fall? When we fall. He responds to us like he always does, with no condemnation. Now, this is what God's love is all about. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the word no there is very strong in the original. No, 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 no. Never, 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 never. There is an old hymn that says, O joy of every contrite heart, O, 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 o hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. Now, there is no condemnation to a Christian when we fall, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But that does not mean there are no consequences. There are a lot of consequences when I blow it. When I get out of God's will, not only I have consequences, but my family has consequences, the church has consequences, and every time we disobey God, we lose. Now, why does God not reject us then when we fall? Let me give these to you hurriedly. God's love for us is unconditional. God's love for us is unconditional. And here's where I want to dwell. Jesus has already taken our punishment. There are no consequence, there are no condemnation, but that doesn't mean we get away with consequences. We have a law in this country called the law of double jeopardy. That means that a person cannot be tried, a person cannot be punished for the same crime twice. Now listen to me, this is good doctrine this morning. That is also operates, the law of double jeopardy also operates in God's law. We are not punished for the same sin twice. 2,000 years ago, 
Jesus was nailed on the cross, took our punishment for our sins. <clears throat> he took our wrath and he took our death penalty. Now, which sin did he die for? All, all of them, past, present, future, ones we don't even know about yet. They already have been punished. Are you with me? When Jesus died, <clears throat> he cried out, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. Your debt has been paid in full by the grace of God. Be ye glad, be ye glad, be ye glad. See, what if God come to you and said, or, you know, I, Jesus' death wasn't enough, so I'm going to have to punish you a second time. I'm going to have to punish you a second time for that sin that was done. Jesus' death wasn't good enough. No, 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 no. That's double jeopardy. Our punishment was taken on the cross. And if God punished us, it would be like him saying, Jesus' death was not good enough. I don't know how clear I can make it. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. God does not condemn us. God does not punish us, but he will discipline us. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. Look at the screen. Punishment is retribution for the past. Discipline is correction for the future. Punishment is done in anger. Discipline is done in love. Punishment says... This is what you get for what you've done. Discipline says, I want to train you to get you on the right path to the future. Now, if sin, if we sin and we sin and we sin, and we're never disciplined by our Heavenly Father, you know what that means? It means you're not in His family. Not in His family. You don't discipline your neighbor's kids, do you? You'd like to. You'd like to. You really would like to. But you don't discipline your neighbor's kids. No, 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 no. You only discipline your kids. And one of the reasons that we know that we're Christians is that we cannot get away with it. We cannot get away. God will discipline us because we are his children. Now, why should, why should we return when we sin? Why should, what should we do when we say, here, return, return. I'm really throwing you a, 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 a curveball, Josh. What should we do when we sin? Return, return. Just come back to Jesus. Jesus, I, I really blew it. I, what I did was inexcusable. It was a sin. It was a sin. And I confess that it was a sin. And I repent of it. And, and I, I beg you to forgive me. And I am back. See, God is the God of the second chances. Look at these beautiful verses. Jeremiah 15, 19. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. No matter what you've done, return. 1 John 1, 9. Before, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from, there's that word again, 
All, what does all mean? All, that's all, all means. All, what's the next word? Wickedness. All wickedness. Now there's a happy ending to Peter's story. If ever there was an unforgivable sin, it would deny Jesus three times. I don't think anybody in this room has ever done that. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. He also knew that he was going to return. Because he said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. Can you imagine that? But I have prayed for you. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. On Easter Sunday morning, Mark the 16th chapter, verse 7 says that the women went to the tomb. And an angel announced to them that Jesus was alive. And that angel said this, Now go and give this message to my disciples, including Peter. Mm. Including Peter. Isn't that sweet? Jesus knew that Peter was about as low as he could get. Humiliated, ashamed, depressed. Never, I'll never be able to face Jesus again. Never be able to face my brothers again. But Jesus made sure that that angel gave Peter a personal invitation. Go tell Peter as well. In John, the 21st chapter, Jesus and Peter, they have a one-on-one -on -one meeting after the resurrection. And Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Peter said a second time, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter said a third time, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. See what's going on here? What's Jesus doing? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times did he give him an opportunity to confess and tell him that he loved him? Three. 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 Because in Graceland, everybody gets a second chance. Can I convince you this morning that our God is a God of second chances. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe it looked like one big giant step and you fell away. It's never one big giant step. It's little steps, little steps, little steps that lead to a giant step and then it becomes public. And you know maybe you're not as close to God as you used to be. Well, what should we do then? Return. Return. Because in Graceland, everybody gets a second chance. Let's pray. I'm going to pray this prayer, and maybe you need to pray this prayer after me, or in some way pray this prayer. Maybe you need to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, you know I've wandered away. My heart has grown cold. My loving commitment to you isn't what it used to be. Would you pray that? Would you pray that? I want to thank you for your unconditional love. 
thank you that you never stop loving me. Would you pray that? Would you believe that? And Lord, thank you for taking all the punishment for my sin. Lord, thank you that you don't hold grudges. And by your grace, I asked you to take me back. And I come home to your loving arms. And I want to follow you by grace. And I come back home to you today. In the name of our God who gives us second chances, we pray. And all God's people said, Today we're going to give you a chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We believe in offering an invitation at Bellevue because I want to preach for a verdict. It's not any good unless I preach for a verdict because there are people that need to be saved. And we've seen that in the last several weeks in our church. So we're going to offer you an invitation to follow Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior if you never have. We're going to give you an invitation to become a part of the Bellevue Baptist Church. We're going to give you an invitation to obey Him in Christian baptism if you never have. I'll be down front. I'll help you make those decisions. But if you have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, come to Him today. He's the God of all grace. And He'd love to open His arms and forgive you. Let's stand and sing.